Yeah, I found some interesting nuggets. Okay, here we go. Welcome <laughs> to Here we go. Welcome to TGE the podcast. This is episode 55. It's a beautiful morning in Los Angeles. It's not even 7 degrees, it's 69 degrees, which is nice because we had kind of a little heat wave. The summer was pretty mild to us, very little 100 degrees day so far, but it, we're still in September, which is where it still can get really, really hot. Anyway, I don't know why I'm talking about this. I'm with Tyler. Tyler, how are you today? Good, Sven. We want to thank everybody for listening to the show. We appreciate how the listens are always growing. Again, August was our most listened to month, Sven has just told me. So that's very cool. And we appreciate you telling your friends about the show. If you're into filmmaking, if you're into studying editing, learning about this stuff, give us some feedback. Give us some comments. Let us know your take on this stuff because this is all our interpretation using our experience and Sven's vast expertise to dissect these scenes. And in this case, some cool insider information because we're doing Blade Runner this week, right, Sven? We are. I don't know about vast expertise, but we'll definitely have some some nuggets to share and look at the scene and maybe shed some light on it. Maybe even some critique. I might throw in some critique in there. But yeah, that's what we do. And also, this is a great resource also to kind of get some... Sven's thoughts and reactions to comments and feedback and stuff on the channel because you just receive so much stuff all the time. It's just a difficult thing. Often you're allowed to respond thoughtfully to it. Sometimes it's something you really like, but you don't get a chance to. Sometimes you haven't gotten a chance to yet. So this is a place where also he can address some more general themes and stuff that come up and answer general questions and stuff like that. That's a really good point. You know, I'm going to make I'm going to make a point to collect some of these comments on YouTube that sometimes I don't get to answer, but that deserve a longer answer. And then I'll bring him up here in the podcast and we can talk about them here and get a little bit more context. Yes. And what's this new video you have dropping Saturday or when's it coming out? I hope it's going to come out on Tuesday. It's still, we're kind of waiting for the launch of an ed editing contest that is part of this the sponsorship of this video but the video in itself is i'm really excited is with lawrence jordan ace he's an editor established editor who did a ton of movies and he's now cutting a netflix feature film with marlon wayans that's his i think second or third collaboration with the actor and the director mike titus and so that recently launched on netflix and as he was cutting the film i was able to walk in there shadow him for a day and he showed me specifically this is a very a special effects heavy film where Marlon again plays like a bunch of characters like seven different characters in one scene huh. and he goes through the details of how do you cut a scene like this where you A you basically only have one actor and you have to like composite them in in the editing do like a rough composite and also how you manage this in terms of the workflow because they have to shoot the scene one time and then they have to come back the next day reshoot the scene because Marlon has a completely different makeup and prosthetics uh -huh. and then they have to come back and do it basically seven times if you have seven characters in the scene so very long scene lots of material to go through and he's he's Lawrence is showing the entire like how he works with his assistants and the editing the special effects supervisor on making these scenes work so that's cool that's coming on Tuesday hopefully 
Wow, and there's that be that'll be so cool to see because there's so much stuff going on nowadays with people working with actors that are playing multiple versions of themselves, whether it's Baskets or the Deuce. There's so many. Oh, the Far- Fargo. Yeah, it just has become so commonplace, and it just seems like such a good idea because technology is making it easier. But I, it's interesting to see how intense and difficult that is. Yeah, and I, yeah. And that immediately requires them to have some really heavy equipment on set to do the motion tracking. Um, so they usually shoot these shots with a motion, uh, with a, what is it called? A do- motion dolly? Techno dolly? Techno dolly. They shoot with a techno dolly mm. and that tracks the movement of each take. And then once they have that hero take that they really like, then they say that they tell that computer to just emulate that movement over and over again to do all the additional plates that they need to shoot with all the different other actors or whatever else is in the shot. We'll show that. Very cool. And then Lawrence Jordan, of course, worked on one of his first feature roles was Assassins, directed by Richard Donner. So that's like a pretty sweet gig to get jumping from NYPD Blue to... And Truth or Consequences, New Mexico, Jack Frost, Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo, Riding in Cars with Boys, Peggy Marshall's film, the sequel to Dumb and Dumber, Are We There Yet, just a huge hit movie, The Spy Next Door. That sounds very cool. And then the one I always laugh at with the multiple character one is Zach Galifianakis in Baskets because he did that to himself. That was his idea. You know, everyone else is being cast and then having to work out the, the terrible problem mm-hmm. of that where he's <laughs> he did it to himself. He created the show. He, he writes the episode. That's cool. So what's the editing challenge aspect of this? I'm glad you asked. So alongside <laughs> with this video, I've, I don't know if you remember, but a couple of years ago, uh, I did an epic editing challenge with Chris Trurini. His, his channel is called Chris Court. Uh, Chris Torini and I, we did an epic editing challenge, and it was really cool to give um, viewers footage and let them cut a scene. So this year, actually, I'm teaming up, and there's a bunch of people that team up with Film Supply. Film Supply is a really high-end stock library, and they put up an editing challenge, and I'm a sponsor of the event. So part of the prizes, they have over like $80,000 worth of prizes that you can win. So this is like huge, big deal. So you get to cut a scene. They have like three different categories. One is like cut a commercial. One is cut in title sequence, opening sequence. Another one is something else. I forgot. And you can use their high-end footage where they like hire directors to, to shoot the stuff. They have they work with MusicBet, so they give you a bunch of music tracks, and they work with Boom Sound Effects Library, then so you can use those sound effects, and you get to cut a scene, and then there'll be judges, and they pick winners for each category. And I'm a sponsor part of it, so if you do win one of the prizes, it could be that you get a free seat of the Go-To Editor course, which currently oh, is cool. not open for enrollment, so you get to have a extra opportunity to get into that course and get to be part of the community and uh, for free so that's pretty cool so we're launching that alongside this video and hopefully this contest will be up and running by tuesday they're still sort of proofing the website making sure everything's working fine and when we get the green light that's when we launch the video yeah, that sounds that sounds like a lot of fun, and I think it's it's a whole different muscle to work with footage that's not yours or stuff that other people have worked on before. It kind of takes the pressure off in a weird way, 
and lets you kind of explore the editing in a more specific way, which is interesting, rather than rendering like the sole version that that footage will ever be seen in. You definitely have to work so your storytelling cool. muscle because you have to find the story in the editing. Which is cool. So why don't you talk about why we're looking at this, then? Well, initially, I mean, I've seen Blade Runner 2049 a couple of years ago, but I recently went to Edit Fest, which is a gathering of um, editors here in Burbank at Disney, and it's organized by the American Cinema Editors Society, and they invited Joe Walker, among many other like working editors, prestigious editors, to talk about their process. And Joe Walker pulled up a scene. He talked about a bunch of his movies. He pulled up a scene from Blade Runner. It's the uh, hologram funhouse scene where uh, Harrison Ford sort of lures... K? K. So he lures him, he lures Ryan Gosling into this nightclub, and then he, he flips a switch and turns on the the... The holograms on there. It's a hologram sh- show that's running, but it's beat up. It's like, oh, it hasn't stood the test of time, and it's like there's a lot of uh, glitches in there. And Deckard uses this to use it f- to fight this. What is it? Is a robot? What do we call these guys? An android or something? Android. So he the wants to wants to have an advantage over him because he's still sort of uh, terrorized and. Um, by the experience he had in the past, so he doesn't trust Kay at this point. So anyway, they yes. they cut the first scene and they had a full on show, like a stage show with Elvis, Marilyn Monroe. There were like Go Go Girls, and there was like a chorus line and all kinds of stuff and music throughout and lights and everything. And um, they watched the first cut of the entire movie, and then the director Denise. Villeneuve, I don't know how to pronounce that. He loved the cut and said, oh, this is like, we have a movie here. The only scene that's bugging me is this scene. It's like, it's not working. It's not Blade Runner. We probably need to lose it. And then they spent six months trying different versions of this scene. And ultimately, they ended up with what I feel like is an amazing, eerie uh, interpretation of this scene that then ultimately the director fell in love with and said now we have a place for it and so he showed this entire process joe walker the editor um and showed the the first cut and then different versions iterations of that cut until they arrived at this version we talked about it last time and i thought or you thought maybe it's a good good time to look at the scene and just look at the editing here and see what the what the end product is and my hope is at some point that i can convince joe walker to release the footage of the other scenes or help with that, maybe with the studio, and then I could make a YouTube video about this as well and show how dramatically different the end result is from the, the first cut and why why it didn't deserve to have a place in the film, and now it does. Very cool. And as to Joe Walker, he started out doing a lot of really cool British television and then made the jump to features with movie called Grow Your Own, but also worked on The Escapist, which I recognize, of course, as Rupert, one of Rupert Wyatt's first movies, if not his first movie, who went on to do Planet of the Apes. He also edited Hunger, which was Steve McQueen's first movie, I believe, which is a very stirring and depressing tale of the Irish hunger strikes. and With a, like a 20-minute shot in there where there's no cut. It's really cool. Yeah, Maybe that, it was longer. definitely... yeah. 
definitely his first feature uh, starring uh, Michael Fassbender. And then, of course, went on to work again with... McQueen went on to work again with Walker on Shame. And then, of course... 12 Years a Slave, and Widows. So basically all Steve McQueen's films. Walker also worked on Black Hat, which I believe is Michael Mann's movie. Yes, that is confirmed. So I'm sure that was a a life-changing experience to handle that footage, work with that director. And then he switched to working with Dennis Villeneuve on Sicario, Arrival, and Blade Runner 2049, and is now doing the upcoming Dune so you mentioned that he started off in TV. He actually worked for, I think, the BBC back then. He worked, I can't remember the editor, but he assisted uh, a very seasoned editor there. And he ended up cutting some scenes for him. And then the editor looked at the scene and said, why are you cutting so much? And he's like, well, I got all these shots. Joe Walker says this. I got all these angles from the scene that they did. So I used them, and then his first lesson basically was don't cut if there's no reason. Like, the scene works great in this one shot, just leave it there. And Joe Walker is known now to be the editor that, like, pushes the envelope on not cutting and holding a moment as long as possible. And he believes that the less you cut in a way, um, the more truthful the moment becomes. So that's, that's right. a cool signature of his is when not to cut. And I assume that helps when you're working with Steve McQueen because there's so much in Steve McQueen's films that I can't imagine that there's Michael Mann-type coverage of or Michael Bay coverage. And Joe Walker's like, no, we're just holding on this one shot where everything happens perfectly. But who knows? Maybe it does. Maybe that's... Maybe that's the magic of it. And there's certainly limited cutting in this scene, which is something I wanted to talk about. So what is this movie, Sven? Oh, Blade Runner? It's a... 2049. Yeah, Blade Runner 2049 is a 2017 American neo-noir science fiction reality film directed by Denis Villeneuve. It's a sequel to the 1982 film Blade Runner. The film stars Gosling and Harrison Ford, Ryan Gosling. Uh, Other actors are Anna DeArmas, Sylvia... Hoax, Robin Wright, Mackenzie Davis, who's in the new Terminator, Carla Jury, Lenny James, Dave Bautista, and Jan- Jared Leto, Leto in supporting roles. Ford and Edward James Almas reprise their roles from the original. Set 30 years after the first film, Gosling plays K, a Nexus 9 replicant, Blade Runner, who uncovers a secret oh. that threatens to destabilize society and the course of civilization. Original director Ridley, Ridley Scott served as an executive producer on the film. Principal photography was in 2016, mainly in Budapest. Premiered in 2017, the film was praised by critics for the performances, direction, cinematography, musical score, production design, visual effects, and faithfulness to the original film. and was considered by many critics to be among the best films of 2017. Despite positive reviews, the film was a box office disappointment, grossing only relatively $259 million worldwide against a production budget uh, between $150 and $185 million. Received five Academy Award nominations, winning Best Cinematography and Best Visual Effects. It did not get a nomination for Best Editing, which uh, I think it should have. There you go. Hmm. Um, I'm not quite clear what else was nominated that year, but I... Sure, Joe Walker deserved one. 
if you are a diehard Blade Runner fanatic and fan and appreciator of the culture and impact of Blade Runner and tuned out earlier because we said replic- uh, Android instead of Replicant in reference to the Philip K. Dick book that it was all kind of based on, that's probably good because, yeah, you're right. You don't want to listen to us because we're not that deep with knowledge on Blade Runner as opposed to Kurt Music, who does the music for the show, is. I'll probably be hearing from later. So sorry we don't have the deep Blade Runner lore going on, but we will be analyzing this scene a little bit. Okay, so that year, Dunkirk won for Best Editing. Nominated also was Baby Driver, I, Tonya. We should do Baby Driver, by the way. The Shape <laughs> of Water, yes. we did do I, Tonya. And lastly, three billboard outside Ebbing, Missouri. Ooh. So, so that's yeah, that's, funny. Tough so that's like three movies we've done on the show or have at least talked about it. The movie that won Best Picture and then another one. It's hard. I don't know. I guess I could go either way with three billboards and Blade Runner. Yeah, I was thinking that's probably the one that well, that was probably. Both are great. On the fence. It's a great Both movie. Are great, but now we have to do a scene from Three Billboards so we can analyze the editing of it so we're not talking blindly. So that'll be coming up after Baby Driver soon. Cool. Look forward to it. Okay, so what are we doing, Sven? Well, what we do is we look at a specific scene because we want to like look at the details. Often we get those details wrong, but we want to start thinking about the process of how this is possibly put together and how they're trying to make us feel something. We do that in general. We leave a link in the podcast description so you can watch along as we watch it through. You don't have to if you're on a run or you're on a commute. Just listen as we describe the scene to you. It's kind of like an audiobook. And then we go back. I made some notes, and we talk about some specifics in the editing, the filmmaking craft. So here we go. In three, two, one, click. All right, a flip has been switched. We're in darkness. There's some strobing going on. We see Kay hunched over behind some seating arrangement. He looks, he turns, and he sees the hologram on stage. It's Elvis in a white shot. It's really cool as it comes on and off. So there's more darkness than there's light in this whole scene. And lots of the cuts are happening in the darkness. So he in the white shot now, he gets up, he walks towards the stage, looks around. Marilyn Monroe is huge. Now back to Elvis. He's trying to figure out where Deckard is. Comes in, comes out. And, and now we're been back three behind. Three cuts in 45 seconds. Yeah, sorry. We're back behind another chair. It's kind of inc- confusing, actually. Like, he really, like, strobes in and out. And this is the first time we see Deckard. He's walking. Well, he shoots through the couch. That's important. Oh, uh, was there a shot? Yeah. I missed that. The bullet hole just erupts next to his head. Okay, so he's he has a gun on him, and he's looking around. He's trying to find among the sea of these seating arrangements where Kay might be. Go for Joe. Come on. We should definitely talk about this. Okay, so D- Deckard comes around from behind the mini stage, and he attacks Deckard. They are in a fisticuff situation. Look. Hey, just I don't want to hurt you. Deckard into but a chair. But you're not making it easy. 
And the things. conflict is that Gosling doesn't want to hurt him. He doesn't yeah. want to fight him. But this yeah. is a Harrison Ford character, so this is really interesting. Yeah, Harrison Ford is traumatized. He just doesn't trust um, a replicant. That show up to his isolated uh, hermit a, compound. So he's, he's, he's punching years. him in the face several times. And there's a whole anecdote about him, that Harrison Ford the actor actually hit him one time. And didn't Jesus. really apologize for it afterwards. Um... <laughs> okay, cool. So he's done punching him. We have Elvis in the middle. This is like a two-shot profile, medium cowboy situation. And here comes the line. I like this song. So it's a little bit of a stare down. Cut to these medium close-ups. Lots of looks. We could keep it this or we could get a drink. <laughs> I don't know about these lines. There's very few lines, but even the lines that are in there, they're kind of written, overwritten. Well, it's Especially a little interesting. Spots. We can talk about it. I'll take the drink. Okay, so in the white shirt, it's we have Elvis in the background finishing the song. Yeah, so it's a very weird scene if you kind of just unpack it in terms of scenes that were on the table for being deleted. And there might be more to that than just the aesthetic of it, which I totally get. But it's also kind of like, well, what purpose does this scene really serve? And that's really probably more of the ultimate question. And like, what are the things we get out of that scene? How does it move the story forward? Looking at it from editing and we're getting to see the two stars of the movie, the original star and the guy carrying the new one face off so it's like a measure of power who's going to win the fight it's essentially a chase scene fight scene that's turned into this more creative aesthetic thing which is always cool but there isn't really a fight to be had because it's established immediately that Gosling would win that fight no problem whatsoever period which makes it interesting because again it is Harrison Ford but it kind of takes like one of the major drives out of it so then the scene kind of becomes about something else so then it is a scene that is I guess revealing character as the movie goes forward that does become important and I think that's what what there is to be enjoyed about it and why it ultimately serves the movie is mm-hmm. he's kind of measuring himself up against Gossing and realizing where he stands and that feels like an important beat to have instead of cutting to them drinking like I don't know how you would even do that yeah I mean there is definitely some basic drama here in the scene which is okay so you have this replicant that is superior and you have this uh, seasoned I don't know what his job was, but Deckard distrusts him. Just he's a Blade Runner. He's a, he's a he hunts replicants. Yeah, yeah. So period, he distrusts him, and we have to now overcome this. So why not use a fight scene, and why not use a scene where Deckard creates a bit of an advantage for himself because he's so inferior, being a human, and using this this hologram basically as some form of distraction and he knows exactly he's seen this show a million times he knows where the glitches are he knows when the light will come up and he can use that to his advantage sort of makes sense i don't know if the audience really understands that all the way through and then yes you can have a bit and this is not a terribly long scene it's three minutes long so you can have a progress in that dramatic arc where the beginning of the scene is conflict and the end of the scene is somewhat still, there's still tension and suspicion, but at least they're willing to talk. 
And that sort of justifies the scene, especially when it's done really well. And I think what's working mm -hmm. great in, at this moment is that it's super eerie. You're really enjoying the spectacle of the scene, but it's not distracting you from the characters and the conflict and the fight, but it's adding a lot of feels to it. There's so much subtext, too, and it is kind of all about feels. It's what's going on under the surface. Because like you said, there's that dialogue that's a little bit like, okay, but the performances underneath it are what are great. Like, there's so much they're saying, like the, the Gosling saying when Ford invites him to a drink and he's just kind of like almost like rolls his eyes and goes and picks up the gun. You know, there's just so much statement in that about kind of like who has the upper hand in this scene that's yeah. really interesting. And then... Of course, the fact that it's just weird. I mean, this is a guy who's, whose whole thing is killing these replicants. That's what he's the best at. So he's going to find a way to do it eventually, it seems. And he just kind of knows how their brains work. So that's why he implements the holograms. But it's very weird that he shoots at him. He has like a, a, a headshot where he misses by two inches and he doesn't continue just shooting. He decides to, you know, go the fisticuffs angle. Although I guess Gosling kind of uh, inspires that a little bit by, by attacking him. Um, and then ultimately, it's weird that the emotion almost... The music seems determined by Harrison Ford's emotions, which is interesting, which he even mm -hmm. says at the end. Yeah. When Elvis comes up, he's like, oh, I like this song. But there's also that weird moment at... Not weird, but that cool moment at... It's at 155-ish... He's standing there, and Gosling has explained, look, I don't want to hurt you, blah, blah, blah. So everything should be resolved, but then there's this sudden, like, kick easy. in the hologram of music at 202. <laughs> it just, it's like Harrison Ford's like a cat or something that gets psyched out and starts attacking, where it almost seems motivated by the music, but obviously he wasn't going to stop. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's very so cool weird observation. Yeah, I mean, these lines, I have some problems with these lines. This is the second time that I look at a scene where I'm like, once I think about the lines, this is like really cheesy. Look, I don't want to hurt you, but you're not making it very easy. This is, this is the best <laughs> way to express what's going on. Or at the end, right. where he says, I like this song. We can either continue fighting or have a drink. And then there's this long pause, 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 cutting. And then I guess we'll have a drink then. Is This is, this is not Tarantino quality writing, I have to say, wow. unfortunately. But <laughs> you well, can cut all that shit out. Cause the perfor no, it's fine. The performances <laughs> underneath it, though, I think are what make me want to rewatch the movie. Because yeah. watching the scene, it was like, oh, there's just so... This movie... And obviously the director is so, and Joe Walker, everyone involved, and obviously these actors are so good at the subtext of it, but particularly the sure. director. It just makes these entire, like, dreamscapes kind of out of subtext and emotion and feeling and imagery, and that's ultimately what you want a director doing. And this, there's no, I think, bigger example. And then Roger Deakins doing the cinematography who we didn't even mention. There's just yeah. so much going on. Like, they could be saying, they could be reading receipts to each other, and it would be fine. And I don't know what this movie in hindsight i don't know i don't know i don't know if it makes sense i don't know what it is but i do know that it was like this visceral amazing experience so it's kind of cool to study in that regard if you're not a big fan of the dialogue which is very fair i never even noticed that it was uh, buggy watching it yeah yeah no i didn't watch it i didn't notice it while i was watching the movie because it's it's obviously working on an emotional level um and you're saying the actors are putting so much behind it which i agree and the editing helps as well because what we're seeing on screen there's a lot of uh, depth giving by just pacing it out right and who knows what lines mm -hmm. have been removed we never know but 
I wouldn't be surprised if there was more of this. And <laughs> first of all, very basic stuff. There's a lot of editing happening in the darkness. Well, so let me just interject real quick that yeah. Gosling is known and often proclaims that he removes a lot of dialogue. From the, he just likes to get it down to the bare essence. And the other actor that's really known so well for that is, of course, Harrison Ford. So to have those two together, it's like, if there was more, I have a feeling it, it never made it to shooting. Okay, cool. But then even if you communicate the bare essence, isn't there a, a, a more creative... Uh, let's, let's not go there. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. What were you saying? Even if you communicate what? Like, if you're communicating the bare essence, is, shouldn't there be still some more subtext to the lines as opposed to what what the intention of the line is and what they're saying is exactly the same thing. Um, yeah, and I think they're conveying that in the performance. And it's very well that that may have existed and, and it was cut out in editing, but I'm saying there's also an editing process that these two particular actors are very well known for taking the script through before, you know, when they're on set that day or they're leading up to it or whatever. Yeah. It's like, do we need this? Do we need this? Do we need this? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, th I think you could be doing more editing. Like, you could have have him say, hey, we can either fight or we can have a drink, and then you cut to them having a drink as opposed to Gosling saying, I guess I'll have that drink then. And sure, then, but then, then you what's carry the, that, that moment over. Yeah, and I'm not protecting this like a masterpiece, but I'm just saying that that does provide a certain levity, yeah. right? Of yeah. like, oh, the and the replicant is being playful. I guess. You know, because there's like a long beat of, of what's going to happen, what's he going to do. So those are, but then, I mean, you just make a good point that those are kind of choices that you're making in the editing and you're deciding in the course of the film. Well, what's, why do we have him say, does he need to say this? Why can't we just cut to it? And it's also the character taking control of the moment also. Yeah. It's like his way of saying, look, I have a gun. Look, I'm not using it. Let's do that drink instead of just cutting to it. So I don't know. Those are all things you kind of have to balance and find the weight of, of who has the power and stuff like that through the film. So it's okay. a good point. So I want to go straight to 38 <laughs> seconds. This is this moment that I completely missed now rewatching it. So uh, this might be actually a problem on my end or a problem with the film. But so we have Gosling... He, he's sort of walking up to the stage. He's in the white shot. Yeah. He's all exposed. And then there's a gunshot that you noticed, and I didn't notice it because of the sound effect, because there was this glitch, this distortion at the same time. The light goes uh. down, and then the light comes back up, and he's gone. And then we cut to, at 46, to him hiding behind another lounge chairs. So I missed the gunshot. Because the sound effect of the distortion was so loud that it was in there. And I guess the, the thinking is... the gunshot's at 108. The gunshot is at 108? Okay. But he... No, no, no. It's, before, it's a little before that. The gunshot's at like 10, 101. But there must have been a gunshot here because he's hiding behind... Where? There's a gunshot at 101. I'm at 40. Go to 40. You see... No, the thing that happens at 40 is that... Why it, is he you hiding? Get confused. And I thought this was something that was really cool in it, is it goes black at 40, and in that mo that startles the character, and it looks like a cut, but there's actually only like three cuts, maybe four, in that first 45 seconds. Yeah. But at that moment, I thought that was so cool, because it, it seems like it's a cut, but it was like a cool use of blocking, where when that, or they did it in post, when it goes dark... He he's hides. startled and ducks down. So, so he okay, dies. So, so the character just disappears, and it's like, where'd he go? And then a moment later, we reveal it in a way that, that is logical, which I thought was cool. 
So let's okay. see. At 41, boom. 41, he ducks. Yeah. And then we don't know where he is. And then you see him just a little bit. Maybe you can make him out. And then at 45, we cut and reveal he's hiding behind some chairs. And we never, I mean, I never really lose a sense of where he is in the scene through all this, which I think is pretty impressive also, (laughs) blocking-wise, and and who's where and stuff. Okay, so then let me me reassess this. So there is no gunshot at that moment. It's a distortion that startles him, and that's why he jumps behind ducks uh, behind the chairs. Yeah. And that's basically a setup for what's about to happen, which is there will be a gunshot in a little bit. Um, yes. But it was very confusing to me now watching it through. Uh, maybe it's because I'm not watching it on the big screen. But I thought, well, now we're cutting at 46. Again, him ducking behind the the chair, which is basically the same setup as how we started the scene. So I'm like, are we jumping back in time? Is there some other time distortion going on? And it's clearly not intended that way. Yeah. But it is meant to confuse you and disorient you. And, and I just remember that scene being so chaotic and crazy and yeah. like jump cutting and pushing in like close ups of all these holograms. Like I just kind of had this experience of it that's very different than what it was, especially considering like the big moment where he's walking is like a good 20 second shot from like 24 to where it cuts to him after he ducked it, like 44. Yeah. And that's all one shot, which is kind of amazing, too. Yeah, It kind of goes to prove your walker, your walker point. There's very little cutting in this whole scene, which is cool, too. Yeah. But now that, I, that I, like, if I would have been in a test screening and a lot of audience, somehow you would be able to measure that they had this confusion, then I would immediately change this cut, and I would actually show him ducking as the, the lights start to flicker. So that it's clear what happened. Right. Since we're but ending in sometimes basically good. In the same shot then again. Yeah. And sometimes it's good, though, to make that choice of to have the audience not know what happened. True. If the reveal is successful, which it may have been if this wasn't on YouTube. Yeah. And I think it would have worked even better. It would have worked if the setup would have looked differently than from the beginning. I just felt, again, like a jump in time. Not going to dwell on it. Moving on. Let's look at this gunshot. Where was this gunshot? <laughs> Was it 101-ish. 101. Okay, let's look at... I'm at 58. Okay, so 103 was a gunshot. And we can clearly see that Gosling in the medium close-up is startled. I missed the gunshot because it was as loud or less loud than all these distortions. (laughs) This is why you need to see this in Dolby Atmos like I did. Yeah. Okay, I think that's cool. That's well done. Wide shots of of Deckard walking around in the club looking for him. Not startled or bothered at all by this stuff. Yeah, he doesn't feel cool how all that's conveyed. Like, he's not, like, a worse movie is going to have, like, I'm going to turn on the lights so he's confused. Like, where you're just kind of as an audience getting to pick up all this information and figure it out and piece it together, which is so cool. Yeah. While we're at it, at 1 minute 30 seconds, if you freeze right there, you see these, oh, it's the same dancer replicated a couple of times on various stages, like these mini round stages. And I remember reading in an article, Art of the Cut, the interview where Walker talks about that he found this moment of these dancers before they were actually doing their take 
where they would get ready to do the action and he would see how they like their chest was pumping as they were like taking deep breath like these impulsive breaths to to get ready and he used uh-huh. that right here at 1:30 to show them get ready to start dancing and he, he thought this was really powerful to get into this moment yeah yeah it's a happy accident it's it's the kind of stuff you find after the director says cut or before he says action where the actors do something really interesting and they might, they're not in the moment yet they're they're like maybe less self-conscious or unaware or they're doing something really human that makes it interesting and yeah it adds this whole crazy hypnotic effect to it and so and all that was added they had complete control and post of all the holograms and everything obviously yeah well it's it's actually there's a lot more preparation during the shoot so they had to shoot the scene first and then joe walker and his team had to go in and design everything so that they could shoot the holograms that's that's how i understood it yeah and deacons is doing a lot of lighting that's on set right that's not necessarily just done in post yeah exactly huh and so they were actually shooting these actors on stage but it's it became its own plate and then they would impose them back into the scene and there was no 3d tracking or everything everything was done basically manually and so they had to make sure that they have the right angles on every every performance on Elvis, on Marilyn, and all that stuff, so that they can superimpose it, roto it in. Awesome. It's a cool scene. Yeah, it's a fun scene. I mean, it's just a great thing to explore in terms of subtext and everything else we talked about. It really made me excited to kind of rewatch the movie again, realizing how, how rich all this stuff was to get to re-experience that. Obviously, I'm going to be doing it on a big screen because we're missing things here on YouTube. And if you like what you're hearing, tell a friend about the podcast. You have a Blade Runner fan who wants to give us some Blade Runner intel. Tell them about the podcast. Where can they post comments, Sven? Uh, on Twitter at this guy edits. Excellent. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere that podcasts exist. We would like to thank Curta for the music. And as Sven always says... Happy editing. Send us some suggestions. Tossing it back to you. That was the toss.